what do you get really hungry for? Uh, in Maine, Christina and I ate at Route 66 restaurant on uh, Cottage Street in Bar Harbor, and we ordered blueberry pie a la mode. And folks, that pie was freakishly good. I, just so delicious, and I want it again, but we just don't live close to Bar Harbor. Sometimes I get really, really hungry for the Royal Red Robin Burger. Uh, sometimes I crave Ethiopian food. Sometimes I get a hankering, as some say, for a queso burrito at Cadoba. Uh, so let's, let's get some congregational participation here, all right? What do you get really hungry for? Just shout it out. Cheese steak. I don't know what that is. Pasta? Subs. Burgers. Pizza, tacos. All right, we could go on and on, and you probably have your favorite spots for these places. But now, if you've ever missed a meal or fasted, then you know what hunger feels like. And there's a reason Jesus said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Have you ever gone over to someone's house and the food isn't coming as soon as expected? Well, what's on your mind? When are we going to eat? All right, maybe you've been there. We also get really thirsty sometimes. We get what's called dry mouth, or what some call cotton mouth, or pasties, or druth, or dough mouth. One of the memories I have of my grandpa Shirk was when I was a little kid at my brother's baseball game, I was so thirsty. And I was probably really complaining uh, to my parents wanting a soda, and they, I wanted a root beer, I think, and so they did not, they did not uh, buy me one. <clears throat> mm-hmm, that's how I grew up. So I said something about having to drink my spit, and my grandpa got a kick out of that, and so sometimes when they, they lived in Virginia, sometimes when they would visit, uh, he would bring me a root beer or something in commemoration of my spit quote, so... Hunger and thirst are strong desires. We need food. We need drink. If we don't have food and drink for long enough, we die. It's that simple. And there's a reason that Jesus used this simple metaphor to express his fourth beatitude. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And right away, we identify. But Jesus didn't say hunger and thirst for bratwurst and cold hefeweizen. He said hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here again, Jesus talks differently than everyone else. He appeals to the hunger and the thirst of the soul, a much deeper and more serious craving than bodily hunger and thirst. And Jesus gave a covenant promise to people who crave righteousness. He added, for they shall be satisfied. A hungry and thirsty person, they want nothing more than to be satisfied. And Jesus promises satisfaction to everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean that God will satisfy? Well, that's where we're headed. Let's not lose sight of the four simple interpretive guides that I gave at the beginning of this series to help you hear and understand and apply the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus intended it. The Sermon on the Mount, number one, exhibits the righteousness of the king. Number two, 
expounds the ethics of the kingdom. Number three, exposes our sin, guilt, and desperate need of God's grace in Christ. And fourth, explains how believers should seek to obey their heavenly Father by the Spirit's power and gratitude for His grace. Jesus embodies the Beatitudes. So by knowing Jesus, we begin to understand what the Beatitudes are all about for us. Through relationship with Jesus, God conforms us to the image of Jesus by His Spirit so that we can live out the Beatitudes for God's glory. None of the Beatitudes work in us without God's sovereign grace and Spirit working in us. The world has Beatitudes. Here's a popular but wrong Beatitude. Many people believe and live by it, but it's just flat out wrong. It says, blessed are those who work hard to accomplish their dreams, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, the gospel of the world says that satisfaction comes when you reach your goals and you reach your dreams. And to be fair, there are certain moral parameters to this deceitful beatitude. Of course, society condemns people who pursue their dreams by harming others. Of course, some dreams are socially acceptable and others aren't, but on a whole, and often with inconsistent and hypocritical standards, most people understand the pursuit of happiness as the pursuit of their dreams. Walt Disney once said, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. We could call this deceitful beatitude the gospel of Disney. Pursue your dreams, pursue what you want as long as it's legal, as long as it's societally acceptable, and, and if you have courage, and if you have sacrifice, and if you, if you persist until you succeed, then you will be happy and and satisfied. But that's actually not true. Many people's dreams have come true and left them empty inside, completely miserable inside. In some cases, the fulfillment of their dreams is their misery. There are absolutes when it comes to happiness, boundaries, if you will. But people naturally don't want to talk about absolutes, don't want to talk about boundaries. So they redefine happiness according to their dreams. Their motto becomes, do whatever makes you happy. Well, that's a surefire way to not be happy. I think one of the most obvious examples of this popular and wrong beatitude is parenting. Much parenting philosophy today is child-centered instead of God-centered and is greatly influenced by the desires of children instead of the desires of God. In an effort to raise happy children, many parents give their children everything short of God's perspective on happiness and the pursuit thereof. If, if all of us end up hungering and thirsting for everything the world has to offer, and we don't hunger and thirst for what God offers us in the person and work of Christ, we will never be truly happy and satisfied. There's a great danger for us Christians. Though we belong to Christ, there's still something in us that says, blessed are those who work hard to accomplish their dreams, for they shall be satisfied. 
The gospel of Disney is so persuasive sometimes that we lose sight of the true gospel. We need to keep coming back over and over again to how Jesus defines happiness and how he tells us to get it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. There's there's no true happiness or satisfaction apart from craving and pursuing righteousness. So let's try to understand desire a bit more. Understanding desire. What is it to hunger and thirst? Well, when you're hungry and thirsty, you crave food and drink. But Jesus used hunger and thirst metaphorically to refer to the sense of need of righteousness and a craving to have that need of righteousness satisfied. And here's the problem, though. Apart from Christ, And left in our own natural state, our desires are instinctively misdirected. We we want what we shouldn't want or what God says is good for us, and we don't want what we should want or what God says is is good for us. I'm sorry I said that wrong. It's bad for us in the first one and good for us in the second one. We, we, We just... We, we pursue our own thing, and, and, and as believers, the Spirit puts good desires in us. I don't want to minimize that. As believers, you know what it's like to hunger and thirst for those good things of God. The Spirit puts them in us, but we also have ongoing misdirected desires, and that's the Christian life. The struggle of all believers, you can read about it as Paul struggled with this in Romans 7. He expresses this struggle that we all have. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the old self being corrupt through deceitful desires. I like how he put that, deceitful desires. They dupe us. Paul told the Ephesians to put off the old self and to put on the new self, and he said that the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize that even though we are Christians, true Christians, we belong to Jesus' body and soul both in life and in death, that there are still deceitful desires in us trying to persuade us to pursue happiness by the gospel of Disney. We have to study our desires closely to determine whether these are deceitful desires or whether these are God-given desires And God-given desires always have righteousness as the aim. We are to pursue God-given desires and at the same time put to death deceitful desires. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let me ask you, do you hunger and thirst for the right things? Let Let me say it this way. True happiness is desiring the right, just things. The right just things. Righteousness is that which is right, that which is just, that which is morally good from God's perspective. So we know what it is to hunger and thirst, but do we know what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you remember the the band Cheap Trick and their song, I Want You to Want Me? Do you remember that? I want you to want me, don't, 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 my need. Who, Who knows that? Who knows what I'm talking about? All right, heathens. All right, just kidding. 
All right, I love you to love me, I'm begging you to beg me. And that song, that expresses hunger and thirst pretty well, I think, but not for righteousness. Righteousness is not at the top of the world's Christmas list. To best understand what Jesus means by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it may help us to think about righteousness in four ways, four different ways. Now, Jesus may not have been referring to all four of these ways in his fourth beatitude. Okay, he might have, maybe he was. But considering all four and these different perspectives, I think will help us understand. So here are at least four ways to think about righteousness. Number one, imputed righteousness. Number two, individual righteousness. Number three, societal righteousness. And number four, kingdom righteousness. First, imputed righteousness. Here's what I mean by that. Paul said in Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No human being is righteous. This is basic to the Christian faith. All are guilty under God's law and devoid of righteousness. God alone is righteous. Spiritually bankrupt people have no righteousness. The poor in spirit mourn and lack, mourn this lack of righteousness. They're meek because of this lack of righteousness. In other words, they feel their lack of righteousness. Our bodies, they get hungry and thirsty because we don't have food and drink in our stomachs. Spiritually bankrupt Mournful and meek people hunger and thirst for a righteousness that they know they don't have. Jesus Christ is full of righteousness. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He he obeyed and fulfilled the covenant of works without fail. And here's where imputed righteousness comes in. The sin of all of God's people was imputed to Christ on the cross counted as if it was his. He suffered and died for sin as if the sin was his. Additionally, Christ gave his own righteousness to his people as a gift. Abraham believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. That's imputed righteousness. That's justification. God counts his people righteous because he imputes to them by grace through faith the righteousness of Christ. We are justified when we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ as a gift through faith and by receiving his righteousness, folks, we are then accepted and loved by God. So when you realize that you are not righteous and that you are condemned beneath God's justice, and when you realize that you must be righteous in order for God to accept and love you, you begin to hunger and thirst for a righteousness not your own. You begin to want to receive Christ's righteousness so that you can be accepted and loved by God. A self-righteous person doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness because they think they're already full of righteousness. English commentator Alfred Plumer said, quote, to believe oneself to be in possession of righteousness, like the Pharisee in the parable, is fatal. To know oneself to be in want of it is not enough. One must feel the want of it and have a passionate and persistent longing for it, end of quote. 
A self-righteous person doesn't seem to notice that they are poor in spirit. They don't mourn sin with meekness because they're too busy justifying their sin and patting themselves on the back for not being as bad as everyone else. Persistently self-righteous people will never be satisfied, not in a trillion years, because their lack of Christ's righteousness. They don't have it. One source said, those who seek God's righteousness receive what they desire, not those who are confident of their own righteousness. God will only satisfy those who hunger and thirst for what God provides them in Christ alone. Second, individual righteousness. 1 John 2.29 says, If you know that He, meaning Christ, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. All right, understand that now. The confirmation of being born again is the practice of righteousness. Romans 6.13 tells believers, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The fourth beatitude is talking about people who have been brought from death to life in Christ, who present themselves to God and who present all of themselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness comes down to wanting to be and act like Jesus. The, the righteousness of Jesus was evidenced in his obedience to all of God's law and will. God's law articulates what it means to be righteous, what it means to do righteousness. And like the psalm writer of, of Psalm 119, we believers love God's law and actually want to do it. We find inside of us this spirit-led desire that I want to do what you've commanded me to do. So Christians have inside the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, they hunger and thirst to do God's will. They're, be very clear on this, folks. Their obedience is not to become righteous, but is the expression of gratitude and love in having already been counted righteous in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are Abraham's children. Very clear in the New Testament. And Abraham is an example of a man who pursued righteousness. Why? Because God counted him righteous by faith. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed. Abraham obeyed because, as Romans 4.9 states, faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham acted righteously because God imputed to him the perfect righteousness of Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says about Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and here it comes, live to righteousness. Brothers and sisters, really think about this. Why did Jesus take your sin upon himself on the cross? Why? So that 
one of the reasons, so that you would live to righteousness as your Savior lives. Do you hunger and thirst to live to righteousness? That's individual righteousness. That's you wanted to do God's will more than anything else. Individual righteousness. Third, societal righteousness. Let's say someone cheated you out of a significant amount of money or you were discriminated against in some way or someone spread nasty lies about you. Okay? You rightfully want justice. Amen? You rightfully want justice. Desiring justice is hungering, thirsting for righteousness. You want things to be right. You want things to be good. You want things to be moral in society or in the world around you. The sorrow you feel over abortion or racism or domestic violence or oppression of the poor is a hunger and thirst for societal righteousness. Or we could say the application of God's law and gospel to society. We want righteousness to reign in our society. We understand human sin, but it's not like we just want things to crumble and be destroyed. We want hunger and thirst for it to be done right, God's way. We want righteousness to reign in our society. We want justice to be done. So it is right for us to say we hunger and thirst for righteousness. The oppressed especially hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't think you have to be a Christian to understand this to a certain... Don't unbelievers also cry for justice when they're wronged? Societal justice. Think of the people of Venezuela who are oppressed by a government with great corruption. The poverty rate of Venezuela is nearly 90%. 90%! The people of Venezuela are hungering and thirsting for societal righteousness. I'm I'm not saying Jesus is talking about here in this uh, uh, passage all the oppressed people all across the world. I I don't think that's the case. Uh, But societal righteousness is part of hungering and thirsting. As believers who understand the gospel, we want the gospel to be applied to all spheres of life, including the justice system and politics and economics and everything else, education, whatever. So now, societal righteousness, we have to understand, will not be achieved perfectly in this life until the return of the king, which brings us, fourth, kingdom righteousness. We are believers looking forward to inheriting the earth, to entering into the realized and consummated kingdom of our King Jesus Christ. Because the reign and rule of Jesus that has begun in our hearts and lives is seen dimly in the church, we see that dimly now. And, the, and what I see dimly, it's, I love it. Righteousness has begun. We're getting a taste of it here now. The kingdom has come but only in part. It's still getting worked out. So we get a taste of that. We see it dimly in the church, and it is a taste, that taste of the righteous community of faith who who follow their king and want to do so is a taste of the perfect righteousness coming to all the earth at the return of King Jesus. Our inheritance as God's adopted children is a kingdom of perfect righteousness. Who wants that? 
When we are glorified with Christ in that day, in the day of his return, we will forever enjoy a kingdom of righteousness on a redeemed and a restored earth. God will satisfy us in that kingdom of righteousness. Hooverville, that was a term used during the Great Depression to describe these shanty towns that were popping up uh, for homeless people all across the United States. Uh, Hooverville shanty towns were pretty rough, pretty nasty. Imagine a family living in Hooverville. The dad has no job. The mom is distraught, not knowing how to feed her six kids. They live in a dingy one-room hut. They are destitute. And one day, a wealthy businessman strides into Hooverville and offers the dad a good-paying job. Even more, the businessman guarantees the family a beautiful home in the country. The caveat is that it will take a month to work out the details. So the family has to live in Hooverville for another month, anticipating the job and beautiful country home. How do you think that family will feel during that month? They will hunger and thirst for the day that their lives will change. Hooverville is is painful for them during that month. But the promise of a job, the promise of a beautiful country home is their hope Their assurance and and both the pain of Hooverville and the hope of a job in a country home create this hunger and thirst inside of them for the future reality. The righteous, the righteousness that we all wish that we have, the righteousness we wish we'd live, the righteousness we wish we'd see around us in the world, is promised to us in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness reigns forever. Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus meant above everything else, everything else, the number one priority is to seek God's kingdom and to seek God's righteousness. Seek it, seek it, seek it. More than anything else, seek it. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you desire God's will to be done. You pray things like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm here to tell you, your dreams can come true. But what do you dream about? We talked about food earlier, and it's interesting. When we get hungry and thirsty, um, and we eat bratwurst and drink Hefeweizen um, or a burger and root beer or tofu and green tea. Hey, it's your dream, whatever, whatever you want to do. If kale is involved in your dream, that's your dream. Bacon and steak are involved in mine. Our hunger and thirst is satisfied, but it's only satisfied like for a little bit of time. Then what happens? We get hungry and thirsty again. In fact, we get hungry and thirsty again and again and again and again. You've never stopped becoming hungry and thirsty for food and drink. And you're never actually fully satisfied. But I think the fourth beatitude is different. I think it's complete satisfaction. Brothers and sisters, true happiness is God satisfying you with the right, just things. Jesus said, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't that a marvelous promise? That's a promise. 
you will be satisfied. For they shall be satisfied. It isn't passive, or it is passive, I'm sorry. It's not active. God satisfies. We are satisfied. Satisfaction is not something that we drum up. We try really hard. We strive for it. Satisfaction is a gift. It's grace. You bring hunger and thirst. God brings satisfaction in Christ. I don't know exactly if Jesus was referring to imputed individual societal or kingdom righteousness and the satisfaction of each, but I do think all of them are at least implied and that in Scripture, God promises the satisfaction of each of these four, so it's consistent with the rest of Scripture. When you are poor in spirit and when you mourn your sin in meekness before God and before your fellow man, when you crave righteousness that you don't have, God satisfies you by giving you Christ, the righteous one who becomes your righteousness. That's God satisfying you with imputed righteousness. When you want to do what pleases God, but you struggle so much, God works His grace and spirit in your life as you trust Christ, and he puts into you not only an increasing desire to live righteousness, but the power to live righteousness. And God blesses you in this life for doing what is right. If you pursue the right things in this world, you'll have certain blessings, I promise you. That's God satisfying you with individual righteousness. When you are wronged and you cry out for justice, God reminds you in Scripture that nothing escapes His view. He sees everything. He knows everything. It is all within His view. And He will avenge. And He promises to bring justice. Things will be made right in the end. When you suffer wrong in this life, when you are oppressed, God promises you in the gospel that justice will be done. We see the justice of God in the doctrine of the cross and in the doctrine of eternal hell. Additionally, God gives us government, a law to protect us and bring justice in many ways in this life. What a gift. What a gift. As corrupt and as imperfect as our justice system may be, anarchy is way worse. We don't want that. Thank God for our government. That's God satisfying you with societal righteousness. It's a process. But, but the perfection of societal righteousness is still to come. We're not going to have it in this life. When this life is rough, to endure when you are sick and tired of your own stinking sin, when you are sick and tired of other people's sin and they're doing things wrong, God promises you in the gospel that one day you will live in a kingdom of perfect righteousness under the consummated and universal reign and rule of Jesus Christ the King and all the earth. God promises you in the gospel of Christ that one day you will be completely and fully satisfied with kingdom righteousness. The gospel of Disney gives you none of that. None of it. It's such a pathetic thing. If, if you're sitting there and you want your fill, if you want true and lasting happiness and satisfaction, you've got to ask yourself if you're truly interested in being happy and satisfied. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. If you're interested in that, you want your fill, 
you receive it by receiving Christ by faith and walking by His Spirit in righteousness and gratitude for receiving God's grace. It's simple. Saints, the gospel promise encourages us when we mourn our own spiritual poverty and sinfulness. The gospel promise heartens us when we sin big or small. The gospel promise strengthens our perseverance when people sin big against us. When we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, this gospel promise reminds us that we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not forsaken or destroyed because the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. When God promises to satisfy you, He will, He will, He will satisfy you as you trust Christ and walk by His Spirit. Satisfaction is yours. Ask God to make you hungry. Ask God to make you thirsty for the right just things. If you feel full, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong in here if you're full. Now, Jesus said they shall be satisfied. That's future tense. Full satisfaction is on its way. You should have a taste of satisfaction, but the fullness of it is on its way. Jesus is the hungriest. Jesus is the thirstiest. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus has no need of righteousness outside of himself because the fullness of righteousness is inside himself. He lacks nothing. He is deficient in no way. However, Jesus hungers and thirsts for righteousness in the sense that he craves and longs for that which is right and that which is good. He craves and longs for the perfection of God's will. Now, if you want proof of that, just look in the moments before his horrific cross where he bore the wrath of God in tremendous soul pain, in the moments when he sweated drops of blood, Jesus Christ prayed, not my will, but yours be done. We have yet to hunger and thirst for righteousness like that. We have yet to be as happy and satisfied as Jesus. So... Take heart, dear ones, take heart. For the perfectly righteous king promises you his satisfaction and his happiness if you trust him. Trust him. Don't trust Disney, trust Christ. Psalm 119 is a beautiful depiction, or description rather, of the fourth beatitude. The whole thing. It's also a beautiful description of our King Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 begins like this, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's Christ. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be satisfied in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Folks, that's what it's like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
The, the psalmist adds later, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. That's what it's like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You panting? The sons of Korah got it exactly right in Psalm 42.2. They sang this, my soul thirsts for God for the living God. Do you have a thirsty soul? The most interesting man in the world from the Dos Equis commercials is almost right. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty, my friends. Jesus promised in, in John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus promised the Samaritan woman at the well who had a sordid sexual history. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Lap it up, lady. You're just going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Never. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus promised in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Folks, this has to be right. Or I'm damned. You are too. Jesus satisfies the soul. We will never be truly happy or satisfied without him. Dear saints, listen to me. And the unbelievers that are with us today, listen to me. Jesus satisfies the soul. The gospel of Disney makes promises but can't deliver. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes promises and delivers every single time, and we must trust Christ to deliver, for they shall be satisfied. J.C. Ryle said this, the Lord Jesus calls those blessed who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He means those who desire above all things to be entirely conformed to the mind of God. They long not so much to be rich or wealthy or learned as to be holy. Blessed are all such. They shall have enough one day. They shall awake up after God's likeness and be satisfied. Leon Morris said, God will not disappoint anyone who has this deep desire to do His will. Those who long for righteousness will have a full measure, not a mere trace. Let us listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, lest we find ourselves eternally unhappy and unsatisfied. 
Saints, I think part of the problem for us is that sometimes we think that the gospel of Disney will give us something better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be honest. There are days I believe that. This is all just a big sham. I'd rather do that. They're doing that and they seem okay with it. We doubt the gospel. So we need constant reminders, constant preaching that the gospel of Disney disappoints. But God never disappoints those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you hungry, church? Are you thirsty, church? Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Are you hungry and thirsty for Christ? If so, satisfaction is yours and on its way. So as children of God, what what are we to do now? Well, with grateful hearts for having received God's grace in Christ We must live out these four simple verses. There's more to it, but I think these four are good. Listen to this. Number one, Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Love God's law and meditate upon it. Number two, Psalm 119, uh, verse 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Don't love what is false. Hate it. And love God's law instead. Number three, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek righteousness more than anything else. And God will satisfy your soul. Number four, 2 Timothy 2.22. I was talking Paul to Timothy, this pastor. This is a zinger for me. It is for you young men, maybe in particular, but for all of us. So flee youthful passions. Flee. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Okay, then, surround yourself with people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and join them in fleeing youthful and sinful passions to instead pursue righteousness. You have to have the right people around you for this. Paul said, bad company ruins good morals. Hang out with the people who are doing what you're trying to do, pursue righteousness. Get around those people. Saints, we, ca- we cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness alone. Never underestimate the power and influence of living in close community and fellowship with hungry and thirsty people. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty. Satisfaction is yours in Christ.